Well, if you'll turn your Bible with me, please, to Hebrews chapter 1. Again, we welcome those of you visiting with us. We've begun a new series in the epistle to the Hebrews. And today we want to consider verse 3 as we're thinking about the theme of the supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ. The supremacy of Jesus Christ, our title this morning again, is Better Than Angels. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Let's uh, pray and ask for the Lord to send the Holy Spirit. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, do not forsake us, O Lord, but incline your ear and hear us for the sake of your Son, who sits and reigns with you. May he be honored and glorified, and may this church be edified. May we love you, and may we enjoy you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3. And he, that is the Son, and he is the radiance of, of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Amen. We are talking about the supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the great needs, I think, in our families, in our church, and in the land, uh, and I don't think it's wrong to want to see Christ glorified in our nation, Uh, John Owen has a whole volume in his series entitled Sermons to the Nation. Uh, We want to see Jesus Christ honored and glorified throughout the world. Um, I want to see the re-Christianization of the West. I think if I had to say, if you asked me, you know, Pastor Boyd, if God should allow you to live as long as your father and gave you at least another 30 plus years, what would you want to do with those years? I think I would say, I, I think my emphasis would be that I want to see the, the re-Christianization of our culture. I don't think it's inevitable that we have to go into decline. I don't think it's inevitable that we, we have to go into apostasy. Now, I think we have been sliding for 100 years in this country. But I don't think it is irreversible. I think God is gracious and God is slow to anger and God is full of mercy. But the one thing that we're going to have to do, if we want to see a cultural renewal, a renewal of our families and of our churches, we will have to see the supremacy of the true and biblical Jesus Christ. The problem is that a lot of the churches have forsaken Jesus Christ. They've put him on the outside and he continues to stand at the door and knock. But they have left him on the outside because they do no longer teach a Christ, a Jesus, who is truly the Jesus of the Bible. Now, One of the things that the author of Hebrews is trying to do is to keep the people that he is writing to from sliding away from Jesus Christ. He's trying to keep them from apostasy. 
He's trying to keep them in, in the fold. And the way that he begins to, to try and do this is with this issue of, of this theme of the, the supremacy of Jesus. He wants the people to have a high view of who Jesus Christ is, that they would not be tempted to go anywhere else, that they would not be tempted to leave him. And, and that's my mission here as well, is to preach these texts and verses in front of us here to show the supremacy of Jesus Christ, to put it in the words of the apostles, there is no other name under heaven by which men might be saved. There is nowhere else to go, as Peter said. Where shall we go, Lord? You alone have the words of eternal life. Now the problem is, is that the church has left this foundation. And there are lots of Presbyterian churches and Episcopalian churches and Methodist churches and others out there who have forsaken the supremacy of Jesus Christ. They do not teach Jesus as fully the Son of God, God of God. And we're going to see here this morning that the first thing the author of Hebrews does for us is he shows us the majesty, the glory, the power, the loveliness, the dominion of Jesus Christ. And that to see Jesus Christ and who he really is is to see who God is. Philip, how long have I been with you? Show us the Father, he says. And Jesus says, you've seen the Father. When have we seen the Father, the disciples think within themselves. When you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so what the author of Hebrews is doing is he is showing us the Son. And as you behold the Son and meditate on the Son, you'll see the Father. You'll see the whole Trinity. Last night I was reading an article in the news, and the article was saying that our international allies are losing confidence in America. They're losing confidence in us. They're losing confidence in us economically and politically and morally. And they're worried. If America goes down the tubes, where, where, are, we, where are we going? What, what is... What, what, should be our strategy for our country. Every country has you know, their own interest at heart, right? That's fine. Um, there is going to be no reclamation for us without Jesus Christ. That's, that is the part that so many are missing here. Much of our culture thinks they have answers for this cultural declension, but they are devoid of theological truth. That our culture thinks theology is no longer important. And that's the problem. That's the chief problem that we have, is that we have been undergoing a, a period of dechristianization, and it is spreading and metastasizing. Now, it is metastasized a lot more in certain parts of the country than others, but America is sick. Our families are coming undone. And the, the church is losing as many people as she gains, even in the best of cases. Now, what I want to show you from our verse this morning are three points. Number one, Jesus Christ is like his heavenly Father. Jesus Christ is like his heavenly Father is point number one. Point number two, Jesus Christ has omnipotent power like his Father. Jesus Christ has omnipotent power like his father. And number three, 
Jesus Christ reigns with his Father. Jesus Christ reigns with his Father. Jesus Christ is like, in his essence, in his substance, like that of his heavenly Father. Christ has omnipotent power like his Father, and Christ reigns with his Father. Those are our three thoughts here as we are seeking to put Jesus before us and before those of you watching. And and I would say to those of you who are watching online, either right now live or you're watching a recording of this, this is where you have to start. You need to start with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you do not have Jesus Christ in your life, if he is not the foundation of your life, then that's the first business you've got. You need to begin right there. It's starting with your relationship to God. Everything else will find its proper place in your life if you will start there. That doesn't mean everything is going to go easy in your life. I'm not saying that, but I am saying you will have the rest fitting in where it's supposed to be if you have Christ. If you do not have Jesus Christ, the Bible says that you by nature are blind to the truth and to reality. You may have common grace insights here and there, but fundamentally you are lost and need to be saved. Saved from what? Saved from yourself. Saved from God's judgment. Saved from God's law. Saved from God's holiness and His righteousness. Saved from eternal punishment that you and I deserve. It is only to be found in Jesus Christ. Now look with me at our text here. Point number one. Jesus Christ is like His heavenly Father. Notice here the beginning part of verse 3. And He is the radiance of... Of his glory. He's like the sunbeams coming forth from the sun. He is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature. That is, Jesus Christ perfectly reflects the essence, the character, the attributes, the being of his Father. To see Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit in the illuminating work that he does in our mind, in the softening of our heart, is to see God. That we see God in the person of Jesus Christ. That Jesus is the greatest revelation of God himself to us. That's why he said in these last days, whereas he formerly spoke somewhat cryptically, somewhat mysteriously, somewhat, shall we say, in a veiled sense, now he's speaking very plainly. Self-evidently, in the sun, in this last age, in this last epoch, in these last 2,000 years, all the way until the second coming, you can see God most clearly in the person of his son whom he has sent into the world. Now, why is he like the Father? How is it that Christ can be the exact representation, the radiance of the Father? Well, it is because he himself is fully God. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit conceived Christ in the womb of the Virgin Mary. And therefore, Jesus is not an ordinary man. You have to understand that Jesus is the eternal Son of God. He has always been, boys and girls. The, The Son has always existed with the Father, and the Holy Spirit for all eternity. 
Jesus Christ has always been. Now, he has not always existed as the God-man. That is, he has not always been a man. That happened 2,000 years ago. But when Jesus was conceived by the power of the Spirit, he added a human nature to his divine being. And he did so without compromising any aspects of his divinity. His divinity is not diminished. His divinity is not mixed with his human nature. It is not confused. There are two distinct natures in the one person of Jesus Christ. He is the eternal God prior to the incarnation. He continues to be the eternal God after the incarnation. He, the Son has always been the Son. And he continues to be the Son. And he is the Son of God. And he is, to quote the Nicene Creed, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made. He is not made. He is not, as some of the cults say, the first act or the first product of creation. He is the same God who was there in the beginning with the Father and with the Holy Spirit when God hovered over the waters and said, let there be light. He was there in the beginning. And so this means that Jesus Christ, contrary to so many mainline churches, Jesus Christ is not a mere man. He did not attain divinity through a selfless life. He is divine, inherently in his being. He is and shall be and was God. And, and so we must deny not only the cults who come to our door, but we also have to say to the mainline church that has stripped Jesus Christ of being very God of very God, that they too are in the same fundamental position as the cults. They have denied the full deity of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself in John chapter 7, verse 29, says this, I know him, speaking of God the Father, I know him because I am from him. And he sent me. Well, if Jesus is from the Father... That means that Jesus once was with the Father, doesn't it? This is what John tells us in his prologue. That in the beginning was the Word. The Word is who? The Word is the Son. The Word is is Christ. He was with God and he was God. He who has seen me, John chapter 14, verse 9 and 10. He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can Jesus say that? Because he is the exact representation of, of God the Father. He is the radiance of his glory. He is the exact representation of his nature, says the author to Hebrews here. He, and to see him is to see God. Look at, uh, in, in your Bible, if you turn to John chapter 1 and verse 48, Nathaniel said to Jesus, remember the disciple Nathaniel, boys and girls, Nathaniel said to Jesus, how do you know me? He said that to Jesus. How do you, Jesus, know me? We've never met before. And Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, 
asked, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Now, what just happened there? What just happened? Nathanael asked Jesus the question, wait a minute. How do you know who I am? We've never met before. And Jesus, using his divine omniscience, revealed to his human nature, he says to Nathanael, I saw you under the fig tree. Now Nathanael was sitting by himself under the fig tree. Nobody saw him. And it only took that little bit of revelation to get Nathanael to the point of confessing what? You are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? He said, you ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> he said, you will see greater things than these, Nathaniel. He said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What is Jesus saying there? That is a reference, you'll remember, to Jacob wrestling the angel. What did Jacob see in his dream as he was fleeing his own home country, going to Laban's house? He had a dream, didn't he? What did he see? He saw God, the heavens open. He saw the glory of God. He saw this ladder coming down from heaven, and the angels were ascending and descending on that ladder. And Jesus is saying, guess what, Nathaniel? I'm that ladder to God. I'm God come in the flesh. I'm the one on whom angels are ascending and descending. I'm the fulfillment of Jacob's vision there, Nathaniel. You haven't seen anything yet. I'm what the Father saw in weird dreams. I'm the reality. Why? Because in the language of Hebrews, I am the radiance of his glory. I am the exact representation of the Father. Look at Matthew chapter 28 in your Bible. Matthew chapter 28 and uh, verse 17. Matthew 28 verse 17. When they saw him, that is the disciples after the resurrection, when the disciples saw him, they worshipped him. But some were doubtful. The, the disciples are worshipping him as they would worship God. Do you remember we're going to see when you get to the last book of the Bible, one of those 12 who fell down before Jesus here prior to the ascension and he worshiped Jesus, he did the same thing to an angel. You remember that? You remember, boys and girls, when John fell down before an angel and the angel said, stand up. And Jesus never said that, did he? The angel said it because the angel was a mere creature. I too, he said, am, I'm just a servant of God like you. I'm just a mere creature. Worship God, the angel said. And what happens? These same disciples, they fall at the feet of Jesus and they worship him and Jesus accepts it. Because he is God. Let me say this by way of application to this first point. First of all, to you young people, 
you need to know these truths and you've got to know them well and you've got to have them in your heart. Because many of you, if God calls you to higher education, you're going to be confronted potentially by those who are going to deny everything I've told you here. In fact, some of them actually see it as their mission in life to dissuade young freshmen from a biblical view of Jesus Christ. And they get this perverse pleasure. Remember what Jesus said, what are those who cause these little ones to stumble? Better than a millstone be wrapped around their neck and thrown into the sea than to be a professor causing students to fall away from Jesus Christ. Beware. There are going to be those who are going to try. It happened to me in college. I had a professor tell me to my face that you should not believe that Jesus is fully God. He said that to me and my roommate in a, in a private conversation. Um, number two, by way of application, when we understand who Jesus Christ is, we also see how large a mission field we really have in this country now. Like I said earlier, we're not just dealing with weird cults who come to the door that have a low view of Jesus. We're dealing with a large percentage of the professing church that is abandoned. Now listen, it's, this is 2023. If you do want to do yourself a favor, read the book, Christianity and Liberalism, whose centennial anniversary we are commemorating this year. It was written in 1923. Read it. It's very cogent. It's not very long. And it reads like it was written last month. And it's, it is about how the church is abandoning true Christianity while still trying to keep the name Christian. While still trying to say, hey, we're still, you can still be Christian but denied who Jesus is, being the Son of God. You can deny the miracles, you can deny the resurrection, and you can still call yourself a Christian. And this book says, no, you can't. That's, we are dealing with two different religions. You need to realize just because they have a pulpit, just because they have a, a, a steeple, doesn't mean that they really are a Christian church. We, we've got to realize this that those who deny what the author of Hebrews is saying in this verse 3 are denying Christianity. You don't get to reinvent Christianity. You don't get to strip the biblical meaning out of various words and, and retain the truth of, and the substance of what is, is going on in the gospel. So we have a lot of work to do in our evangelism and in our re-evangelism. We have a lot of people, a lot of our neighbors sit under teaching uh, where they hear these things. And many of them, maybe they're even kind of young, immature Christians and don't even realize what they're imbibing. They think that the minister is saying the same thing that they believe, but he's not. Number three, by way of application, as I said in the introduction, cultural and ecclesiastical reform begin with a right confession of the person of Jesus Christ. Individual reformation, family reformation, ecclesiastical reformation begin with rightly knowing who the real Jesus Christ is. 
There are a lot of interpretations of who he is out there. And the author of Hebrews is making it plain who he really is, though. And if it not be according to this word, forget them. Now, i got to move on. The second point we see from our verse here is that Jesus Christ has omnipotent power like his Father. Jesus Christ has omnipotent power like his Father. Look at verse 3 again. And he is, the, he is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature. That's point one. Number two, and upholds all things by the word of his power. He upholds all things by the word of his power. Now, what does that mean? He upholds all things. That means that Christ, the person of Jesus Christ, right now is governing the universe. He upholds Pluto and Saturn and Neptune and all the stars and our sun and our earth and its orbit. Everything is being held together by Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus Christ. He upholds all things, notice, by the word of his power. This power belongs to the Son, even as it belongs to the Father. Let's just take a a little preview here. Go down to verse 10 and 11. We'll get there here in a couple weeks. But look at verse 10. You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They all will become old like a garment, like a mantle. You will roll them up. Now, this, these things are being spoken of by the, to the sun. The sun has this power. The sun has control over the universe. To quote R.C. Sproul, there is not one maverick molecule out there in the universe. If there was... God could no longer be sovereign. Jesus Christ could no longer be called Lord with any confidence because that one random maverick molecule might be able to upset the whole thing. But everything is under the complete control of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing happens apart from the will of God and the power of God. He upholds everything. In Mark chapter 4, verses 35 and following, we see that Jesus is on the boat with his disciples. You remember this story, boys and girls? And Jesus fell asleep in the boat, and a great storm came on the boat, and the disciples became afraid. And now some of these guys are seasoned veteran fishermen. So when the seasoned fishermen who have been doing this all their life and no doubt have seen many storms in their life, when they become afraid, you know that this is quite a storm. They wake Christ up and say, don't you care? We're about to die. Christ stands up and he rebukes the wind and the waves. And instantly we are told everything becomes placid and calm. You ever gone out to Lake West Point and you, you, you see maybe in the early, early morning or right you know, in the, in the twilight of the evening when the wind finally does stop at the end of the day and the water is just perfectly placid. Um, some of you who water ski, you know that that's the best time to go out, right? Because you can get out from behind the boat and, and your skis, it's like, it's like you're just on pure glass on the outside of the boat there, perfectly calm. Jesus makes it instantly calm. That which was raging and threatening their very life is stilled. We see Jesus with power. He heals great multitudes of people, thousands of people. You know, the prophets in the Old Testament, many times 
they were able to heal, but it was, it was a person randomly here or there. But Jesus heals thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Lepers, the deaf, the mute, the blind. He raises the dead. He does it all. You know, they often did it by having to call upon the name of God in the Old Testament. The Lord simply does it by his own word. He walks on water. He turns water into wine. He heals on command. Remember the story, boys and girls, where a man had a sick child and he went to go see Jesus. He left the child at home. And you remember how Jesus said, your child is healed. And he finally gets back home and he said, when did our child get better? And they tell him the exact day, an hour. And he realized that was the very moment that Jesus said, your child is healed. He was able to do that. The scriptures here say that he upholds all things by the word of his power. Christ is all-powerful. He is omnipotent. That is what all-powerful is. Omnipotent. He has all power. Now this is good news by way of application for us all. First of all, for any of you who maybe despair that you'll never become a Christian, that you'll never be born again, that you'll never have what older brothers or sisters have, or you never have the kind of faith that your mom or dad has. Jesus Christ has the power to give you that faith today. Jesus Christ has this power to save, but you have to look unto him. Peter wanted that power for himself. You remember when he said, Lord, let me walk on some water with you. And so Jesus said, okay, come on out. And he did for a little bit. And then he got nervous and he looked away from Jesus. And what happened? He lost the power, didn't he? And he started going under. You have to look to Jesus Christ to grow in grace. You have to look to Jesus Christ. You have to keep looking to Christ all your life. It's not just at the beginning of your Christian life and then you do the best you can by pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps. But you're always looking to God in Jesus Christ. Lord, help me to grow. Lord, I don't feel like reading my Bible. Help me to read my Bible. Lord, I don't feel like praying. Help me to pray. God, I don't feel like loving that person. Lord, give me grace to love them as you have loved me. God, help me to forgive, Lord, even as I've been forgiven of my many sins. Help me, O oh Lord, to forgive seven times 70 if need be. Help me, O oh God. God has the power to do that. If you don't experience that, you need to look to Christ. Isn't it interesting, I didn't, you know, I referenced Mark 4, but I didn't tell you the context. Isn't it interesting in Mark chapter 4 where Jesus says that the wind and the waves, Jesus stopped with what, a, but, but with what, but with, but only a word. You know what that passage immediately is following? It, it follows the parables of the leaven and the mustard seed. You ever thought about that? Why did Mark do that? Because I think some of the hardest parables to believe is the idea that the kingdom of God is going to grow throughout the entire world. That the kingdom of God, that the Middle East of today is not what the Middle East of tomorrow is going to look like. Today it looks like it belongs to Islam. It looks like it's all Muhammad's. But there's a day coming, and that's hard for us to believe. You think, how in the world is the church ever going to penetrate Iran Iraq, 
Libya, these places in the Middle East. And Mark says, oh, I, I can help you. <laughs> I'll put the story about the wind and the waves right after the parable of the mustard seed growing into the largest tree in the garden. I'll put it right after the leaven that leavens the entire loaf. It's because we don't look to Jesus who has all power and authority. That's the reason we don't really believe. That's the reason I think dispensationalism, one reason why dispensationalism is so popular. You know, it's easy to believe things are just going to get worse for the, the church. and There's no hope but the second coming of Christ. Surely the, the world's not going to get evangelized. Um, that's easy. That doesn't require faith. That doesn't, that doesn't require any great act of believing. It's harder to believe that God actually will pour out His Spirit and, and turn people around and bring them to faith in Christ. That, that's hard. To raise the dead, to penetrate the darkest corners of the earth, that's hard to believe. That's what you're called to believe, though. Abraham was old. He was told he, he was given a promise that was hard to believe. That's the point. He has to look to God in order to fulfill the promise. That's the point. You have to believe in the power of Jesus to change the world. You say, our missionaries, there's so few. There's so few of them on our bulletin. How's that going to make much difference? Well, you have to believe in Christ. Quit looking at your bulletin. <laughs> and look to Jesus Christ. That's the problem. Your problem is you don't have faith. We have to believe Jesus had the power. We see it all the time in the Gospels. i got to move on. The third point. Maybe we'll talk more about this next week. Jesus Christ reigns with His Father. Look at the end of verse 3. When He had made purification of sins, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. That is, after Jesus Christ goes to the cross and he dies for our sins, God raises him bodily from the dead and he sits him at his right hand in heaven. That is, that's a way of saying something very simple, boys and girls. And I want you to hear this. Jesus is reigning with the Father in heaven. Jesus is reigning in heaven with the Father and Jesus tells us he has all power and authority. And therefore, he says, go and fulfill the great commission in Matthew 28. I want you to go out there. I want you to believe that I can stop the wind and the waves. I want you to believe that I can grow this tree into the largest tree in the garden. The kingdom of God is going to become great. And I, and I want you to believe that I am sitting with the Father in heaven. I am reigning. I am ruling. I am governing. All my enemies, including death itself, are going to be under my feet. That even death itself, the last enemy, will be dealt with. Jesus tells us in the upper room discourse in John chapters 13 through 17. Jesus tells us and tells his disciples, it's better that I go. It's better that I leave this world. It's better that I go to heaven. It's better that I go to be with the Father. Because there I'm going to reign. I'm going to govern. I'm, I'm leaving my ministry of humiliation, and I am about to enter into my ministry of exaltation. You know, the book of Acts is really volume two of Luke's gospel. 
Luke's gospel is about what? It's about Jesus' earthly ministry. What is the book of Acts about? It's about Jesus' heavenly ministry. It's about Jesus' heavenly reign. Jesus is reigning and ruling and he is governing. This was promised to him in Psalm 2 where, uh, Today I have begotten you. And what do the apostles do with that? I think it's in Acts 13, but you'll have to check me on that. But I think in Acts chapter 13, the apostles take that verse from Psalm 2 and they say that it refers to the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. That that promise in Psalm 2, that, that the Son will govern with the Father, is realized in the resurrection and ascension of Christ. Psalm 110, we have the same promise, that Christ will reign. This means that Jesus, as I close, is also Lord of our lives. We cannot have him only as Savior without also adhering to his Lordship. We must have the whole Christ, or you have none of Christ. You must take Jesus in his commands as you take him in his promises. Faith must be applied not only to the promises of Christ, but also to the exhortations of the New Testament as well. Have you come to reign with Christ? The Bible says if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are united to that reigning Christ. Even though we're still here on earth, we are seated with him in the heavenlies. Amen. We thank you, our Father, for today's Bible lesson. We pray that the Spirit would own that which is faithful to the Scriptures and blow the chaff away. In Jesus' name.